Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program and uh, welcome back. Uh, we're teaching from the book of Romans and if you've been watching us, you know that we've been in a series on the book of Romans. For the last four weeks, I've been on the 13th chapter of Romans. When I finished filming last week, we decided, I really only got about to halfway through chapter 13, and I decided to film one more program. So this will be the fifth program dealing with Romans the 13th chapter, and I'm going to try to quickly review and then get towards the end of this chapter and uh, kind of conclude the 13th chapter in this segment on it. But let me say quickly again that if you've missed any of these programs and you would like to watch them, I want to encourage you, you that you can go to my YouTube channel and they are available to watch on demand there. And uh, you just can watch the programming as we uh, upload it, usually the day after we air it on, on national television. Uh, the audio portions of the program can also be listened to on our podcast and there is an RSS feed for your Android device. And the easiest way to do that is to simply go to my website at lenhouse.com or to scan the QR code that's on the screen, and it will take you directly to uh, a, a place where you can uh, go to those links. If you sign up there for uh, uh, subscribe to our channel, then you can uh, probably even download them. You can also uh, uh, get a email when we upload something brand new so that you're up to date with what we're doing. And we really appreciate that. While you're there at the website, if you think about it and you'd like to sow into the ministry, if you watch me, you know that we spend very little time really even trying to sell product or raise money, and I'm probably horrible at doing that, but our partners have enabled me to be able to just share the Word of God like we are. But we have a whole host of books and audio and teaching stuff there that would be a blessing to you, and there is a place there where you could give and so into our ministry or even become a monthly partner. If we've been a blessing to you, we ask you to prayerfully consider doing that. That being said, let me get into Romans 13. And uh, I've done a lot. I've done four programs over the first three, four, uh, over the first part of this. So I'm going to read it and then come down into the latter part of it. It says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is a minister for you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore all, to all their due taxes, to whom taxes are due, custom to whom ta customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor is due. Now we let me just review just briefly so we can move on from this. I dealt with those verses pretty extensively over the last four weeks dealing with this, uh, uh, talking about how God gave authority to operate in four basic dimensions. First of all, the individual, we govern ourselves. Secondly, God set the families. 
and the, the families should be, they have authority, there's authority to govern within those families. In other words, I have authority over my children. I don't have authority over your children. I have authority over my finances, my house, and what goes on in my place, but I don't have authority over yours. So there are boundaries and spheres of authority. There's individual authority, then there's family authority, then the next thing he ordained was the local church. I really believe there has been a breakdown in some of these, and that's why the fourth one seems to be out of its boundaries. And the fourth one that God gave authority to, here according to Romans 13, is to several authorities. The government has the power to weld the sword. That speaks to me of coercive authority, police, army, enforcement of laws, enforcement to evildoers. They're a terror. The, the Scripture tells us the law is not for the righteous, it's for the sinner and the ungodly. And I'm thankful for police, and I'm thankful for military, and I'm thankful for... Now anytime there's abuses within those, God does not back that authority. There are times when the Apostle Paul would say, we would rather obey God rather than men. It's because that the government is trying to usurp authority that was only given by the church. And the church was given the keys, and the government was given the sword. Uh, the, 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 the two main functioning things is that the individual and the family and the local church, the family is the smallest unit of the church, and the family together joined with the local church is the expression of the body of Christ in the earth. They are the two governing forces that are in the earth. And what I shared with you in prior segments is that the government of heaven and the government of the kingdom, and that our relationships are not only vertical, See, we've got this right pretty much, especially in Grace New Covenant circles, is my relationship with God vertically is by grace and what He did for me to make me who I am in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm the righteousness of God. That vertical relationship is my relationship between Him and I. I call that the way of grace. But the cross is both vertical and horizontal. So it's not only my relationship with God, it's my relationship with people. My relationship with people is the outworking of the relationship between me and Him. So when I got this relationship between God and I, my relationship with me and my wife are better. When my relationship with God is good, my relationship with me and my children are better. When I've got my relationship with God, my relationship with me and my government are better. Are you, are you tracking with me? Because each one of these has spheres of authority that have the legal right, which I call the Greek word exousia, the legal right to function within that sphere. That's where I have the right to operate in the power, dunamis, of God to operate. I have authority on my house. I can speak things over my household. I can speak things over my children. I believe that's why it's important to have a voice with your children. Somebody said to me recently, well, I'm not going to make my children go to church. I said, well, you make them brush their teeth. You make them go to school. You make them do their homework. Make them get out of bed and go to church until they have a desire, until they become their own uh, household, and then they have the authority over their house how they conduct that. But I, we, must, we must begin to be parents and leaders. And I think there's such a, a never more, now more than ever, grandparents are raising their grandchildren because of dysfunctional families and substance abuse and some of that kind of stuff that's completely out of order and the enemy is just ravaging our countries and our homes, but God wants to restore proper authority 
and proper uh, government in our individual life, and then in our families, then in our local church, and then in our government. We're trying to do it backwards. We're trying to do it from the top down, and so we get frustrated because we keep voting on somebody else to fix our problems. And while I believe politics are important in their place, and that God has ordained some of that, and people are called to some of that, I believe that what has to happen is that we need to realize that the answer is not in Washington. It is in the self-government of the people that it governs over, because if there's not an inward compass of moral value that comes through grace and by the Holy Spirit, you can't pass enough laws to make people behave. Even the law of Moses was given on Mount Sinai because the people forfeited a personal relationship with God for a mediator system. And when you forfeit a relationship with God, then you have to have rules. But when you have a lot of relationship with God, you need a lot less rules. See, when, 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 uh, once again, when Moses went up the mountain and God was going to make a whole nation of priests out of the whole nation of Israel, I'm going to call I'm a holy nation, a, a, a priesthood to him. The people said to Moses, we're afraid of him. You go talk to him, and whatever he says to you, we will do it. And if we do it, it'll be our righteousness. And they reduced what God wanted to rules instead of a relationship. But in the new covenant, God restores that because Peter said, you're a chosen generation, you're a royal priesthood, and you're a holy nation. What happened then is that the three, about 300 years into history, right after the cross and the destruction of Rome, the church started to establish another hierarchy that refused to allow that form of authority and government within the, the individual and the family, and the church became the mediator, and it became the authority that really was outside of its boundaries until it denied humans and people the right to have access to God, and they had to come through a priest. Luther stood up in the 1500s and began to restore and bring Reformation and said one of the things he restored in that Reformation was the priesthood of the believer. He brought us back around to God's intention, and even what Peter said, you're a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. So the first thing we need to do is restore relationship individually, and then restore relationship in the family. And then we need relationship and community in the local church. I know there is a movement right now for people to say, well, I, I'm not the church, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I don't need to, I don't need to, listen, you need community. You need people around you. No man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. And you need to give honor where honor is due. And then there is a place for the government because the government has the coercive power to rule. And what happens is you mostly only need coercive power when all three other realms have failed. When you fail to have self-government, when you fail to have home and family, or the church is not doing its job because it thinks it's leaving any minute, then the government has to step in and do things that it was not ordained to do. And then the first thing you know, uh, laws are passed that, that, that forbid uh, you know, us to be able to worship the way we need to worship. But let me tell you that Congress knew this, and the founding fathers were brilliant when they had the separation of powers, just like Moses had the separation of powers. It was Moses the elders of the tribes, and the Levites. That were three branches of government even in the wilderness. And just like the American government, there's you know, the executive branch, the judicial branch, and the executive branch. All of these are, are to work in balance to each other so that none of them becomes a tyrant outside of its jurisdiction. And Congress shall pass no law restricting the free worship or, or, or to the establishment of a religion. That, that, that amendment was not established to protect the government. 
It was established to protect the church from the establishment of a religion. Because if we had one government establishing one religion, then you could see what happens all over the world when the government ran the church and the king was the head of the church. We got on a boat and came. the pilgrims came over here to flee the tyranny of a religious system where they could freely worship God because only where there is freedom can what's really in the heart come forth and, and you can live out this life in freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. I don't want to go back and get into all of those things, but I'm talking about how this plays out on this horizontal level. And as we get down to that, here's what he goes on to say after he establishes the dimensions of authority. In verse 8 he says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not cover. And if there is any other commandment, all all are all summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Jesus said when He was here, a a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Because what happens is, is that right behavior is going to flow. Not because of law, but because of love. That's the new form of government. You know, I I, I forget the scripture, I can't quote it just right, but uh, out of the Message Bible says, a new form of government, he's going to establish the real king of David. With the, It's going to be a government of love. In other words, love, I said this prior, but it's a good way to explain it. I don't commit adultery on my wife. Not because the Bible says not to. I don't do it because I love her. Love supersedes all of these rules. Because when you love, and you love your neighbor, and even love yourself, because what has happened is we really haven't even been able to taught how to love ourselves. And so, it, you know, no man does harm to his own body, the Scripture says, but if, you, if we can uh, love ourselves and then love others, and then that everything flows out of that love, then what happens is, is you treat your neighbor right. You know, I, I, think, I, I think even to challenge people and how you treat a waitress in a restaurant. You know, we're living in a day when they're working on a, you know, a shoestring staff because they can't get anybody to work. And people are rude and obnoxious to these waitresses and they have to wait long. And the truth of it is, is they're doing the best they can with what they have. Let me suggest something to you. Maybe you ought to give her a better tip than just criticizing her, especially Christians. Listen, your testimony and what you do in public, even how you treat people when you're in behind the wheel of your car. It amazes me how godly Christian people turn into devils when they get behind the wheel in traffic. I mean, I, sometimes I think, Lord have mercy, you know, uh, maybe you need some patience. And I think sometimes that is learned behaviors. And you have to think, you know, I, I was sharing with a, a waitress not long ago, and she was almost in tears. I mean, she was. She had a restaurant full of people, and she came over and she said, "I apologize for being so, uh, you know, slow and things being so slow. And you know, I just for taking so." Long. I said, "Listen, we're thankful for anybody that work. We realize that you're on a string, you know, budget of people that can come to work, and even the restaurants are closing early. So just know that we're patient. We came in here knowing that it, you know, it's going to take a little while. And I made a purposely." gave a really big tip. And I have several times in places where I went. And literally, when I gave the really big tip, I have seen waitresses break down in tears and say, thank you. Thank you for understanding and being kind. 
See, it doesn't cost us anything to be kind and to love our neighbor. It doesn't cost us anything because we, we're looking for grand and glorious answers about how to solve the problems of our world. When it really boils down to this, I listen sometimes, I'm not trying to be unreligious here, but 70's on 7 is on my Sirius XM, and I listen to some of the music from back in the day when I was growing up, and I, you know, back in the day I really wouldn't listen sometimes to the words, but stuff like what the world needs now is love, more love. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, stuff about can we just get along and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, be, just being a little bit patient with each other and, 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 and realizing that love is what makes the world go round. Every song's written about it, but it seems like we can't seem to grasp the elusiveness of this simple principle of what it takes or what it means to love and to love our families even and to love our, our children and to love people around us. And let me tell you something, that seems to be a rare commodity, but that's the ingredient that changes the world. Because the Scripture said God is love. He doesn't have love, He is love. And so when you see love, it is God manifest to you. And He says all of these things that are behavior issues on this horizontal level are all going to flow out of love. And let me tell you something, where love really comes is when I really realized I love Him today because He first loved me. What happens is, is when love is initiated, it demands a response. You could think of it like this. You ever been in school when you were younger, especially, and somebody wrote you a letter, I love you, do you love me? Yes or no? And you may have never even thought about that person before, but when you get that note, all of a sudden you're thinking, somebody loves me. And then all of a sudden something's stirred up in there that's a response that says, man, I need to flow out of love. I love that person. In other words, it initiates something, because you reap what you sow. Hate begets hate. Fear begets fear. But love also begets love. And I've been thinking, you know, even as I, I, I you know, as I get older especially, I, I think sometimes, man, just simple things that are so transforming to people and life-changing is just to stop by sometimes and visit an elderly person that's shut in that can't get away. Maybe stop, have a cup of coffee with them, share the Word a little bit, reminisce with them, have a few moments with them, care for them. You know, even when he talks about honor where honor is due, I mentioned this earlier in one of the segments, my mother-in-law who is 90, she'll be 91 in April. Her husband was a great mentor to me, and I traveled with him, led worship, and then he taught me how the road works, and, and I've been on the road full-time ministering 43 years now, full-time, married his daughter. But to me, honor doesn't just mean you shake their hand and pat them on the head and say good words about them when you're in public. Honor means, uh, you know, it has to do with finances. Honor where honor is due, and it, it has to do, of course, with verbal things, but also just like, you know, finances. And that's why Paul said that he that labors in word and doctrine is worthy of double honor. That doesn't mean you shake their hand twice and pat them on the head. It means you give something back to that. But when you start to sow that, you know what? One day, I'm going to be a lot older. I'm getting there right now. But I appreciate the fact that people care about me enough and love on me, and not just whenever I'm vital and viable to them or because they can have an opportunity maybe for a door to be opened or to come on the program or get something from me, but because they simply love 
when you walk across the road and you maybe help mow your neighbor's lawn because he's in the hospital, or you, you know, you help him go over and fix a fence, and you know, you I, people don't, you know, it's amazing to me. Even recently, with the, you know, the tragedy we saw on the football field where the uh, football player was hit and then had the the, uh, the cardiac arrest, and thank God, I think from the latest I heard, he was doing well. But at that moment, the NFL didn't care if you knelt down and prayed. People didn't seem to mind if you could pray. Because you know what happens? Something out of love begins to flow and says, you know what, I care about my fellow man. This is basic stuff, but this is really the grassroots of the gospel. Is that when you love, you don't steal from your neighbor, you don't covet his wife, you don't uh, bear false witness against your neighbor, and love is the fulfillment of the law. And then he goes on to say, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us, lock, let us walk properly as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness and lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. What he's simply saying here is this is the horizontal outworking of the salvation that was coming on the scene. And when Paul's saying the night is far spent and the day is at hand, he was really talking about the end of that old covenant was about to come to an end and collapse. I don't got time to even, even hardly touch that, but really he's talking Romans is a book of transition from an old covenant paradigm to a new covenant. And in uh, Jerusalem and all of these uh, 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 religious systems that had failed were about to fade off the scene. They were in a time of great political chaos, uh, 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 Roman occupation, but God was about to bring some changes, and He said, "The night is far spent, and the day is at hand." Uh, let us time to awake out of sleep. If it was time to wake up out of sleep back then, I am sounding an alarm for us to wake out of sleep right now. I think it really is high time to get people to begin to awaken to righteousness. Awake to righteousness and sin no more. And awake to their true identity of who they are in Christ and put on the Lord Jesus Christ, as this scripture says. Because when you do, you, I could say it like this, the moment you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, your salvation is not just near, but you've received it. And the day that dawns is a result of the light that shines forth outside of you and shines forth out of you because now the, you've cast off the works of darkness and you put on the armor of light. And now a day is dawning as a result of us walking properly as in the day, not in reveling and in drunkenness and in lewdness and, and lust and strife and envy and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I've never seen a day when there's so much even strife and division among believers and church people. I have really had to limit my time even on social media because no matter what you post, somebody viciously wants to attack you. And you know what? I, I you know We're going to see some of this probably in the next chapter, I believe it is, especially when we start seeing some things in, uh, uh, the, in, in the 14th chapter because it's an ongoing, uh, if you will, it's an ongoing treatise of Paul trying to tell you this is what Christian behavior looks like. Now let me make clear again, this is not behavior that makes you a Christian. Or this is not a, this is not a behavior that makes you righteous. 
You're already righteous, and because you are, and you're already a Christian because you are, this is the kind of behavior that flows from you, because you realize that you love even as God for Christ's sake. You know, Paul said that you can forgive even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. So in other words, forgiveness becomes easier to do when you realize about how much you've been forgiven. You know, as I've traveled all over the world, I see broken people all the time, in ministries, not in ministries, regular people. And I mean, you know, the after a while you start thinking, man, there's just broken people everywhere. And you start to realize, wait a minute, broken people is all there is. And that God loves broken people, but He doesn't leave you broken. He steps in and brings a salvation into you and begins to tell you, here's some things, listen, this, this is New Covenant advice. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. In other words, don't even make provision for it. Don't leave it on the side. You know, I was thinking, there's a guy who used to travel with me, still part of my board of directors. But he, when, he, when he got delivered from smoking, you know, he said, he, 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 uh, you know, he, he said, you know, he told his wife, he said, listen, take my cigarettes and hide them somewhere. That way, if I fail, I can always go back to them. And he said, I had a pack hidden in this drawer and a pack hidden there. And he said, I'd open the pack and tear it and it would be seven cigarettes. He said, hmm, God's perfect number. And he said, God spoke to me and said, yep, smoke them and don't buy no more. And he said, man, I smoked them, went to the drawer, tore that open, seven cigarettes. He said, I heard God say, yep, perfect number. Smoke them, don't smoke no more. And he said, I did that three times. And all of a sudden, the Lord said to me, stop making a provision for the flesh. Don't have your wife save a pack just in case you fail. That's kind of like trying to lose weight and keep the pie in the closet. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, you know I, it's haunting you that there's a chocolate bar laying over there. I really, if you've watched me over the years, you've seen that I've lost a lot of weight. But one of the things you got to do is you got to clean the cabinet out of all of the junk that doesn't have any kind of health benefit to you and stop making a provision for the flesh and a provision for failure. Because if you keep it around, it's going to draw you until you cannot seem to, you know, and even that's like even with drunkenness and some of that stuff. I mean, listen, I, I've seen people that if they had one drink, they are off the wagon. And the best thing you can do is never touch it again or never get around it or get themselves in those trigger situations. There are moments, even with even depression and stuff like that, that there are things that are triggers that set it off. And Paul's saying, Stay away from even this kind of stuff, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and stop making a provision for the flesh so you can fulfill the lust thereof. In other words, he's telling you how to live out this life on a horizontal level as a grace, new covenant believer. What is the role of government? What is the role of the church? What is the role of my home? What is the role that I have of governing? Each one of them have their perimeters and their sphere of authority that God gave them. Well, we're out of time. I trust you've enjoyed this. Let me tell you that if you would like to sow a seed into this ministry to help us to stay on the air, please go to our website. Right there it is on the screen. Or you can scan the QR code. It'll take you directly to a link where you can sow a seed into the ministry through our PayPal portal that is secure and safe. You can set up a monthly debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner, or you can give a one-time gift you can also send your check or money order to the address that will come on the screen. You can also call the number that's on the screen and someone will take your call. If you don't receive an answer, we have a limited staff. Leave a message and someone will turn your call. But do it today. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. 
In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.